You're listening to Coffee Talk with the Liturgy Guys. Excuse me. I happen to be passing. I thought you might like some coffee. Oh, that's very nice of you. Thank you. Because if beer is proof of God's love for us, then coffee is proof of his mercy. Oremus, caffeine, come to my assistance. Put that coffee down. This is not a real episode of The Literature Guys. Coffee's for closes only. There's no topic that we're discussing, and we're not even talking about liturgy the whole time. Are you telling us absolutely everything? Not exactly. We're also out of coffee. <laughs> so without further ado, another Coffee Talk episode of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. You know what I want to say about Coffee Talk? What do you want to say about Coffee is Talk? Is that Coffee Talk intro is freaking good. I know. That yeah, is really funny. We, and I don't think I've praised it enough on the podcast. So. I think we should have more contests. I think. Yes. We haven't had a contest in a long time. What kind of contest? I think we should have a t-shirt design contest. No way. A Liturgy Guys t-shirt design contest? Liturgy Guys t-shirt design contest. You have all summer to do it. and There's not that much summer left, but. Okay, let's say by Labor All Day. All summer. Labor Day. <laughs> Labor Day. You have until Labor Day to send us a submission for a Liturgy Guys t-shirt. Mm-hmm. If you are the winning submitter, you will not only get a t-shirt that you designed, which seems like not a very good price. <laughs> Maybe we'll give them two. <laughs> okay, two t-shirts mm-hmm. that Dennis may or may not have worn, and we will give you one free online course. No way. That's a $249 value. <laughs> Yours for just one easy payment of uh, zero, zero, zero. <laughs> and one t-shirt design. <laughs> so you can submit your t-shirt design. T-shirts may or may not be used by human beings. <laughs> not applicable in Canada or dates in London. Why? <laughs> Send your t-shirt designs to me at questions at liturgyguys.com. That would be Jesse Weiler. That's Jay Weiler. But send them to questions at liturgyguys.com. And we're excited to see what you come up with because uh, we want to upgrade our gear and our swag. Yeah. And uh, this, this is the best way to do it. And you guys are extremely talented and awesome. And let's just see if this works. You've yes. got this, uh, what did you call, man crush on this guy? <laughs> if you can have an intellectual man crush on a dead Frenchman. That's a good band name, intellectual Lectual. man crush. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and the band and the dead Frenchman. That would yeah. be the background series. Like Hootie yeah. and the Blowfish. Just like. And then the uh, number one song on that album will be infinite cube so. that's right or roofless notre dame yeah so we've talked about him before jean honey j-e-a-n is the first name it's mm-hmm. how you say jean en france jean got it looks like jean and then his last name is Annie in french you wouldn't say how do you spell H- that h-a-n-i oh it's like scott Hahn. yeah except it's not h-a-h-n it's like, h-a-n-i except not at all it's put out by uh, angelico press and i promise i'm not a shareholder in angelico press i don't really know much about them but they publish a lot of his works he's been dead quite a while i think in the 60s maybe he wrote a lot of these books but they're just being translated into english for the first time and they're really cool we talked about one that had to do with sacrifice on a coffee talk eight or nine oh yeah that's the book that you were like really into that i was man crushing over mm-hmm. but i had a book crush in fact but you know what is the crush about this is that the truth in it is so interesting. It like, it's like looking through a camera lens at a blurry thing or binoculars, and then you adjust the thing, and, just, and boom, it comes into focus. And so he's really good that way. Well, the, the, I think you like it because I was reading the table of contents, and there's an architecture section in this book. Yeah, well, this book is called Divine Craftsmanship, Preliminaries to a Spirituality of Work. Now, that doesn't sound yeah, all Yeah, that's that. intense. Yeah, it doesn't sound that great. It's like, oh, my job stinks, and... 
I just have to suck it up and be nice and then I'll endure it. And that's what it's like my cross. But that's not what he's talking about. Anyway, so enjoy this next five hours of Dennis just reading this book. <laughs> well, you haven't seen the book. I haven't read the whole thing yet, actually. But I have a short attention span because I'm an ENTJ. Sorry, what did you say? I have a short attention span because I'm an ENTJ. I'm also caffeinated right now. Partly with coffee, but also with flat coke. See? That's my flat coke can. That is the sound of a flat coke. I opened it and put it in the fridge yesterday so that it would be ready today. It's still so got that, a little too much in the bubbles. I love that you left it out for basically 24 hours and you're like, it's still a little I too I know. I, like a week is perfect open in the refrigerator. There's money in the bank. You just open a few of them, put them in there. It's like those people in Italy who make Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese. You know, oh, yeah. These big roll... Um, I like Wheels a of cheese. Five-year Coke is my favorite. Well, yeah, one week is like <laughs> the perfect vintage for an open Coke. Perfect vintage. We have so here. we should call this flat Coke talk. Yeah. Well, you're drinking coffee, so that's okay. So, what do you want to know about Jean Hanier and his uh, divine craftsmanship? Well, first of all, obviously, there's kind of a a builder building type of deal to this theme to this book. Right. That's chapter six. God, the architect. Well, also, it's called the divine craftsmanship right and so the idea that you kind of talk about is that we're living stones and that we are being formed and fashioned by the savior mason's hammer which is also like just the coolest phrase in right. the world so what does that mean that means we're stones and we're all out of shape and mm -hmm. there's a little hole in the walls of heaven that god needs to shape us to get perfectly into so imagine some kind of complicated gothic stone at Notre Dame that has to be rebuilt. Someone's going to have to take a rock out of the ground and shape Except it for, into the perfect shape to go back where Notre Dame It's one its thing to be like a mason and to chisel and cut something to a specific design. A sculptor or something a sculptor. Else. Yeah. But it's another thing to try and sculpt something that is at times trying to get away <laughs> like us. Well, yeah. We're, we're like, sometimes we don't want to be sculpted. And so alone. we're like, no, thank you. Right. Well, that's what every parent does, right? You take this kid who comes out of the womb with good virtues and bad habits and some intellectual capacity. And you have to figure out how do I turn this kind of formless intellect into a really good person? You can abuse your kid until they turn out to be a psychopath, right? But you're still shaping them, misshaping them. Or you can say, Hey, sit still. Let's learn to read. Can I read this book to you? Eat your vegetables. You know, can I teach you how to walk and all, and, you know, diaper potty training, all that stuff that it takes to become a person that you want your child to be. And so that's the same kind of thing that God does with us. But there are all these different analogies for how he does it uh, in the world. All right, let's, let's dive in here. Well, you know, the table of contents, we're not going to go through all of these, but the first one is divine scribe. Christ, the physician, the warrior God, the divine potter. So like someone who makes pottery on a spinning wheel. God, the weaver. You think, what does weaving have to do with anything? And then the fisherman, the celestial gardener, and uh, the son of the carpenter. So when you think about all the things that happen in scripture, you just think, oh yeah, well, they're human beings. That's what they have to do. But Adam and Eve are in a garden. So God has to establish mm -hmm. this place that's you know, happy for human living. And then when they get kicked out of the garden, they have to work they have to make food out of the ground in the desert. And so, but that's an imitation of God who made the world in such a way that it would provide food. It's just that it becomes harder to do in the fallen world. So basically what he says is that in God, there are the archetypes of different human activities. You oh, know? that's awesome. Yeah. So basically anything we do is some participation in something that God does, right? So he... Does he define the archetypes? 
Well, that's what all the uh, chapters are about. Oh, so God oh, writes. Awesome. What does it mean for God to write something? So then when we write the word Jesus, you get it. Say you get a tattoo of Jesus on your forehead. <laughs> right? <laughs> you are saying the name of Jesus is the most important thing to me that I want. I would to do it backwards so that I could read it in the mirror. Well, that's right. Like the ambulance uh, line that's backwards. Mm-hmm. Or the physician, you know, Christ heals our wounds uh, you know, in the fallen world. And so what do we do? Well, we go and heal people's wounds, either physically or, you know, if you're a counselor or a spiritual director or a priest in confession, you're the healer. And then potter, this is very interesting. You know, like clay is a, a shapeless pile of wet, mucky nothing. But then somebody's hands come along and they give it number and shape and then it becomes useful and then it becomes permanent after it's fired. So is it weird that when you say potter, it makes me think of like a gardener or something? But there, isn't there a gardening archetype too? Yeah, garden is one of them. Yeah, okay. the gardener. I mean, you think because potter is like they yeah, pot plants. Yeah, I don't know why. That's I thought just... you were going to say Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Hey, I wonder why. Uh, that's a good Halloween. Costume. J.K. picked Potter for his name. I wonder if that uh, means something that he's you know being made or, eh, or probably making. not. Yeah. All right. Well, she's got she's pretty smart, you know, even though she's not quite up to C.S. Lewis standards. Well, Malfoy, he's got the. The root mal, which is evil, and mm-hmm. that's like the, the, and like the evil like family. So I bet she did think something like that. Yeah, or words that sound kind of creepy. You know, we talked about the Smurfs in one of our podcasts, and we, we, did? we were talking about Gargoyle and Gargoyle, and Gargamel was one of the, was the bad guy in the oh, Smurfs. Yeah. Remember, we couldn't remember his name at the time, but it just sounds like a bad name. It's not quite the meaning that Gargoyle had with the gurgling throat, but. Um, Basically, what he's saying is the work that human beings do is a participation in what God does. So um, when we do work, when we make something, uh, we're not only knowing, but we're bringing things into being. So you can sort of know what a a beautiful pot is on a pottery wheel, uh, but then when you put your hands in the clay and spin it and turn it into something lovely, you're actually... We're creating like God creates. Right, except we're not creating from nothing. God makes something out of nothing. We're making something out of something. But it's still a share in God's uh, creative I love powers. this already. Isn't it cool? So, so, when we, so when the people make our Liturgy Guys t-shirt, they're going to be making something, and it's going to, be a, it's going to make them more like God. Well, it's a participation in God's creative power. Oh, man. So you, know, you think about laying text for graphic design, say. You want to put it in a way that's hierarchically arranged, right? So the important words stand out first, and then the secondary words mm-hmm. and tertiary words. But then you have proportions in the size of the sheet. And so the, the, you know, if you have a four-inch piece of paper, you might make the big words one inch high, and that becomes one quarter of the height of the paper. That's a one-to-four ratio. And then suddenly you're taking something that doesn't really exist, except intellectually, into something uh, that, that's knowable. So what he says, in, when divine occupation, when, when, God, um, when our human mind comes into what God's doing, we cross from the sensible to the intelligible. In other words, we use our senses and then we find out something higher than that. So God revealed to us what it means to work, what it means to grow food. Um, and he's sharing this power uh, with us. And so he talks about uh, our, ag- our agricultural work. The foremost occupation, because it's indispensable to human life, is actually like the work of God, that God made this garden for human beings to sustain life. Except we have to work in the fallen world where it just everything just kind of grows. So on that's the trees. another archetype. Agriculture. Agricultural work, right. So Got it. in other words, everything that God did, humans do, but at the human level. So God made a garden of Eden and fruit just fell off the trees, right? I went, I just watched the uh, old Simpsons where the Bible stories are in there and um, 
it shows uh, Homer, you know, with just wearing a fig leaf under the tree. And then, oh, yeah, it's Homer and Marge as yeah. Adam and Eve. Yeah. And then this pig comes along with a top hat and he's got a British accent. He says, Hello, Mr. Homer, would you like some bacon today? <laughs> oh, yeah, and he just grabs and The pig just rolls side. over, shows his belly, and Homer like takes oh, these that's awesome. strips of bacon off his belly, but the pig doesn't die. Uh, there's no work in the Garden of Eden. So basically, the big point of all this, he says, is all occupations imitate God, who is ceaselessly at work, uh, ceaselessly creating the world and so it's the sole basis for the dignity of human work and so that's the thing you know if you just say well what am i working for what am i doing um you know in the liturgical institute on a podcast like this we're imitating christ the teacher right where he's teaching and revealing and we're sharing that and so there's lots of ways that you can say how does your work have dignity sometimes it's hard to imagine that if you don't like your boss or what you're doing but you can even say like mcdonald's okay I hate my boss. <laughs> yeah, who's that? <laughs> you know, in The Simpsons, there's always that pimply-faced guy who says, do you want fries with that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think of that as the lowest possible kind of work. But actually, you know, you're sustaining life for people who might be on a road trip or for whatever reason can't be home making their own food. And so you can think about the dignity of what you're doing by saying, I'm imitating God the Creator. You know, growing organic arugula might seem a little more snooty, you know, like fancy organic lettuce. Um, that might seem like more imitating God the Creator rather than highly processed fried food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's kind of still the same thing. You must have a comment by now. You always have something to say. No, I'm fascinated. You I are. love this idea that uh, I like to See, be edified that say. what I'm already doing is good stuff. And so everybody likes to know that. They like to know that what they're doing, and what they're, you know, whether it's a job or a hobby, they like to know that what they're doing is rooted in something inherently good and has existential value beyond what they're actually doing to the physical world. And so that's really edifying. And, and it's really easy to take this kind of template of philosophy and theology and lay it over what I like to do for my job and my career. And that's awesome. That is such an amazing feeling because it's like, wow, okay, I have a share in all of this. And that's really what mm-hmm. we should be thinking the whole time is that we have a share in this. And what does this have to do with the liturgy? Well, when we work in the liturgy, we can do the same thing as we do with all of this, all of these different archetypes, and we can participate fully and actively and have a share in the sacrifice. Because that is work in a sense, right? Right. So well, the God, work of the people, the work done on behalf of the people. And it's work there. done by the people, yeah. So God has a certain work. You know, the catechism says the liturgy is the people's participation in the work of God. Mm-hmm. So the participation of the people in the work of God. And, and what's God's work? It's to bring us back to him, to restore us with the glory he wants us to have, to bring creation back to him. And so we participate in doing that, which is why liturgical arts and liturgical actions are always the highest of the possible kinds of works. So you make a beautiful chasuble, you might spend a lot of time compared to just you know a pair of socks or something. Um, so the, you know the first uh, chapter in this book is called the Divine Scribe, and you think a writer, who, like author. What? Well, I think yeah. the, the word. Right, right. as a person who, who writes, right? So he says that uh, the two highest occupations or, or skills of God, can you guess what those would be? Of all the things God could well, do. Well, didn't you say agriculture was one of them? Well, that's one of them, but he says the two highest occupations. It might not be obvious. I just want to see if you can guess. Um, I, well, writer, if, if we're talking about scribes, author. Well, that comes later. I'll just tell you. Yeah, that's He great. says priest and king. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So when are at Christy? Right, so a priest, prophet, and king, um, but they're no longer um, 
occupations properly, but functions. So he says the teacher and the sacrificer, the governor and the judge. These are all the things that a priestly king person has to do, a spiritual authority and temporal power. And then the question is, how do they exercise these things? So a priest offers, which means he has to know how to speak, he has to know what he's doing, um, but writing was considered a sacred act. Um, and so, but we don't think about speech as sacred, but it's a kind of communication. So I have this invisible thought in my head, and mm-hmm. then I can say something, and now you know what that thought is. It's like, how do you, we, we're so used to it because we think... It's just natural. We do it all the time, right? Yeah. But where would we be without that? You know, when, when little kids are just learning to talk and they have, you know, gas or <laughs> colic or something and they're just <laughs> crying. And my, my, one of my friends used to teach her daughter, which is little, to say, use words. Just like, use words. Okay. And then they would stop and say, my tummy hurts, right? And they're like, okay, now we understand each other. And so using words is a kind of a sacred thing. Well, even if we could kind of go into the priestly functions, in some of the in some of the rites, the form of the sacrament is word. You know, well, yeah, you Christ say, is the word of the Father. You say the word at, at the Eucharist, at con, con, the consecration mm-hmm. of the Eucharist uh, during the the rite of com, uh, confession. You there's words that are said, so it's very important. Now they're not writing those words; you're coming up with those words, right. but. But That's the word-based reality that we have. Right. Because fundamentally, we want to be known, we want to be understood, we want to be loved. And if someone doesn't listen to you or you can't communicate, you can't be known. And then you're isolated from each other. And it's in being known that you can, the two can become one. And so what he says here, you know, this is right in the beginning of the first chapter of the Divine Scribe, is that all languages are sacred because their constituent element, that's speech or the word, is but an attenuated form of primordial speech, the divine word, which is the direct source of creative act. So when, there's a lot of funny words there, but basically what you, God says, let there be, and there is, right? Light, darkness, mm-hmm. stars, moon, sun, fish, land. So there's this participation when we speak in God's very method of creative act, which is speak. And Christ is the word of the Father. In other words, he's the revelation moving outward from this sort of invisible reality that then becomes knowable. And you can think about the power of a word, you know, if like people whose parents are abusive and you're no good, you're a rotten little kid and you'll never mm-hmm. amount to anything, right? And it's like a stab in the heart and they, they operate out of this place forever until somewhere along the line they get healed from that word. So. Or sometimes the lack of words, lack of being told I love you or, you know, things like that. Withholding mm-hmm. yeah. the word can also do that. Right, so the good can be deprived, or a word can be used as a weapon. Mm-hmm. And so you think about the power of a word. What's a word? It's just some funny little sound going on the airwaves. And why would it stab you in the heart to be betrayed by a word or be told you're ugly or stupid or whatever? How come this funny little sound wave? But like you said, there's a hierarchy too. So like, there's like the word, Jesus Christ. Then there's the word of the Lord, you know, the gospel, mm-hmm. you know. And so even in the liturgy, there's a hierarchy of words. Right. And it's all word based. When you go to mass, you talk, 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 right? Mm-hmm. God, we want this glory to you. Holy, holy, holy. It's all word. In other words, words are how, how the creative act happens. There are other ways to do the creative act too. But basically speech um, is how the divine activity happens. And so that speech gets translated into writing. And that was always a sacred thing in the ancient world, that the priests had the art of letters or the art of writing. 
which is sort of like teaching, you know, they, the, the writer belongs to the priestly order and, you know, sets this divine order on earth. So that's one of the things that he's talking about here. Is there a, mu- is there a music archetype? In? I didn't get a chance to. I guess there is, but he doesn't bring that up in this uh, book as far as, as far as I know. But he talks about how the world is created like a book. In fact, he says, God created the world after the manner of the book. So the universe is the book and the letters are the elements. So sun, moon, stars, plants. Like if you were going to describe to somebody what the earth was like, you can write it in letters, but that's already a description of something that pre-exists. So like picture books for kids, they don't need a lot of words, but they just say, oh yeah, okay, I can see uh, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. So the reality, uh, the reality is there. And the book of the world is something that, you know, Christ has at the end of the book of Revelation. Sometimes you see an icon, Christ is holding a book and it says alpha on one page and omega on the other, Hmm. which is the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. So he's the scribe. What's written in his book, the book of Revelation says, is what happens. And so what we think is we use our human activity to do something, and that's it. But actually that's true, but not the whole story. We're using the human activity, which is a participation in God's activity. And therefore we're participating in what God does, which is making things uh, real. In fact, there was, in the old rite of... um, consecration of a church before Vatican II that was a big long thing it was like four hours but they would put sand on the floor in a big X shape across the church and the bishop would take the bottom of his uh, uh, crozier and write the letters of the Latin alphabet you know one at a time in the sand and then Greek across the other one uh, in the other direction and so the idea was he was laying out the writing of God of all known creation so if you say you know we had a big party and we had everything from A to Z, you know, for, to eat or drink. What you're saying is we have everything. And so if the church building is an image of all of creation and then you're writing those words across the floor, you're making it real. That is awesome. I know. Isn't that cool? And we wow. got rid of that in the current rite of dedication of a church, probably because nobody knew um, what it was about. Sometimes they would do it in ashes instead of uh, sand. So the creation, ashes, like the biblical notion of decayed creation. Mm-hmm. And then you put the letters into it um, and you lay out the, the words of God across there. So it's, it's kind of amazing. Al- alpha and, uh, to omega, it means all things, beginning to end, A wow. to Z. Yeah, I do see that a lot in sacred images, the alpha and the omega. Right, and so that's just to say Christ is every. He says that at the end of the it's book in of the, Revelation. It's in our uh, main chapel, the Chapel of Immaculate Conception, on that uh, curtain in the back the screen, the, I guess. Yeah, the screen with the angels. On the it. far left, it says it has the Alpha, and on the far right, it says right above the capitals that hold mm-hmm. up the screen. And everything in between is salvation history. So yeah, you see symbols of the incarnation, the giving the keys to Peter, the martyrs, the symbol of Constantine. And the Eucharist is the sacramental reign that we're in. So in other words, all of time is summarized between A and Z. It's the last words of, among the last words of scripture, Christ says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, I'm the beginning and the wow. end. In other words, I'm everything. But you see, that's the writing that becomes the participation that we have in describing what Christ is, which is everything. So the Bible isn't just a little scientific book where we learn Jesus stuff. The Bible is the book that summarizes all of creation. Man, we're only in like one archetype here. I know. It's like packed with tons of stuff. I know, I know, I know. You know, the the worker part is more interesting to me right now. You know, this warrior God. What does a warrior do as a king? You know, it brings order out of disorder, brings good, hopefully, you know, the right one. Uh, A good king would do that. 
But the one about Divine Potter, not Harry, but just uh, <laughs> Divine Potter. <laughs> How does God make Adam, do you remember? Oh, he what makes him he out make? of clay. Yeah, so here's formless stuff, and God shapes him into Adam. So you don't have to get all literal to think like God had a hand and scooped up you know, mucky clay mm-hmm. and made a little sculpture out of him. Whatever way God did that is how he did it. But when we make a statue of a person or a saint, we're participating and sharing in that uh, reality. So That is such a cool thing. I never think about that stuff. Of like, what, what are we imitating? Like, we're imitating God. Even in those things. Yeah, and not know? just imitating, but actually participating in his power. In, in like, a, in like a, is that kind of an, an anamnetic type of deal as well? The kind of making real by doing? Right. Uh, I guess like at the sacramental level, yeah, right. So the Eucharist is, anamnesis means to remember, but to remember, to make real by remembering. So the you Eucharist, have to have that intent when you're actually making something out of clay, like you, you have to think about that while you're doing it yeah i don't know if you would talk be... about anamnesis in relation to like sculpture but you usually it's talked about in sacramental things it's like the eucharist is not just oh ho hum the last supper happened and we're doing it again mm-hmm. it's remaking that present and real okay. again so, so it's not that extreme i guess on the yeah or it may participate it in some way you know Got that it. participation language is we, i don't know that we've ever really talked about it but it's it means you're actually doing and sharing in the same reality as something else but in a different way so god is life itself and we participate in life by living mm-hmm. we're not over there doing a different kind of life and then god's fullness of life is somewhere else it's the same life so i don't know what's a good analogy say you have a, a big electric generator and it's producing you know some millions of watts or something megawatts mm-hmm. And you kind of like tap. eight point five gigawatts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to go back to the future, then um, you just you know hook your little wire onto it, and your little hundred watt light bulb uses a, a bit of that participation. That's not oh we have electricity over there, we have electricity over there. It's the same electricity, but one's doing just a little bit, mm-hmm. and one's doing it at the fullest level. So if God's the perfect potter in the sense, he makes something from. And there's something. no way to be off the grid, so to speak. Well, right. No, you can't. I mean, the only yeah. way to be off the grid is to go out of existence, and you can't even go out of existence. The souls don't disappear, you know, wow. if you reject God. Oh, that's real deep. You still exist. <laughs> You're just existing away from God, which is like... So, stay on the grid, everybody. Stay on the grid, exactly. <laughs> and the thing about, you know, the God's electricity, so to speak, is it makes you a bigger light bulb. So, the more you are plugged into the system, the more... It's like a light bulb balloon. Exactly, right? The more electricity you can use, and you become a bigger, better, brighter bulb. The second track on our album. Brighter bulb? Yeah. (laughs) No, balloon bulb. Oh, balloon bulb. (laughs) Wow. So, um, you know, what he says, uh, at the highest level, the divine spirit, that's God's reality, comes upon matter, which has no form or shape, and then takes it from chaos into order. And so when we do that, we're continuing that divine activity. So, you know, we use your mind. It's like, okay, here's a block of stone or a hunk of clay. I want to make it look like Jesse. So I have my image in my mind, and somehow my mind's idea is going to be impressed upon this clay. And when I'm done, it's not going to be formless. It's going to be an image of you, right? So Mm -hmm. it's an interesting thing. Like we just, we take it for granted. It's like fish. Who don't so think about I'm, water? If I take a picture of you and I use this face app and I like make you an old man, yeah, like we did. Me taking that image of you and transforming it and 
transfiguring you into something well more glorified to <laughs> in some ways it is right because someone came up with that app right and they used intellect to figure out how it may to, or may not be the reference to make something into know. something um but what i'm trying to get at here is it, it's one of these things where you have to kind of pause and go oh yeah you know i have a friend who smoked a lot of weed in college <laughs> he said who, who who didn't have a friend that smoked a lot of weed in college he said whenever he smoked weed he would just like oh that's so cool you know like you look at a leaf and wow that's a leaf man you know like mm-hmm. i thought you have to have pot to do this but to sort of have this spiritual marijuana for a second and be like whoa there's a concept in my mind that's invisible and unknowable. And I have the power to take that out of my brain and use my hands to m- put it into something else so that somebody else can know what I know in writing, in speech, in dress, in action, and in this case, um, what the divine potter does. So God has an, a mind. It descends upon the world that he's created. And suddenly there's fish and water and sun and moon and stars and people. And uh, so that human beings are like that too. They take this image out of their mind and then they make this reality in the earth. And it's something that can then be knowable and your heart can be compared to clay, right? If your heart is all hot, uh, not hot, but uh, hard, mm-hmm. and God tries to show up and Harden not your squeeze heart. it into Christ's heart, it's like, oh, sorry, you won't let it. But if you say, yes, Father, I allow you to do whatever you want, make me like Christ, that's a surrender to a kind of pliability so that God can make you uh, be really great if anybody who was commissioned to build a Catholic church had to read this book man they really should it totally should I mean that we can't go through all of this but the fact that Christ was the son of a carpenter and was, oh, wow. and was a carpenter man. like has anybody ever thought of that as not just accidentally like how do they make their money mm-hmm. <laughs> so they can eat but what is what do carpenters use carpet Oh, sorry. It's not carpenters. <laughs> carpenters. Uh, they use tools to form and fashion the wood. And yeah, okay, so wood, right? Yeah. But where, wood, where does wood come from? It comes from trees, from the right? ground. So how is a tree a deeply biblical thing? Uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right, so that There's brings the death tree that into Christ the world. Dies and on. then the cross is a tree too, right? So if Christ is the one who's going to turn the tree of good and evil into the tree of salvation or the tree of life, He's a carpenter. He's a guy who uses He's a divine carpenter. tools to oh my take wood from one kind of thing and bring it into something else. So and he's the tool that does it. Yeah, exactly. Oh and my his goodness. hands are God's hands. And so it's, it's just amazing. Whoa. You know? All this I don't even need here. to smoke weed to get the, that <laughs> whoa moment from this. This is great. And what else? You know, sometimes carpenters are called joiners because they join pieces of wood mm-hmm. together. If you have to make a fine piece of furniture, you have to make all the joints come together without seeing all the screws and everything. So you make this piece of fine furniture that looks like it just came out of the sky, right? All the parts are in the right place. Everything's beautiful. And you don't see how it's all joined. You know, this is Christ joining all the members of the mystical body. So to think of these things, pretty interesting. Some people um, theorize, too, that a carpenter wasn't just someone who worked with wood in the ancient world, but actually with stone. Because there wasn't a lot lot of wood in the Holy Land because of the, just the desert conditions. And so a carpenter would have been someone who put stone on top of stone and then combined it with wood. So you can just do this infinitely, infinitely. But, um, you know, maybe the last one we'll talk about is God the Weaver. Mm-hmm. Can you think of how God's a weaver? Because of the fabric of life. No. <laughs> well, um, that's actually kind of right, but well, say more. Well, it's kind of what you're saying about the joiner. 
you know, taking all these pieces and, you know, joining them together, weaving them together to become something greater. Um, there's also this, in, you know, this idea of the fabric, um, which is the veil that's torn in the temple mm -hmm. and, you know, what we, what we once thought was that fabric has been destroyed, but then... You but know, even before it's destroyed, it had to get there. Right. right. So how, how do you make this great veil in the temple, which well, signifies was, the body of Christ? It was, right? the, it was uh, there were instructions by God, wasn't there? Yeah. So there's he three, three colors like of this. wool and, yeah. and flax uh, to make linen. But think about a thread of wool. It's just sitting there doing nothing. You get enough threads of wool, enough colors, and then somebody carefully weaves the verticals and the horizontals, and these images start to show. You know, one of the ways you judge the value of a carpet is how many knots per square inch. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. No. But um, little tiny knots are, have to be done one by one. So if you have, you know, 100 per square inch, it, it's pretty rough. You know, if you, when I was a kid, it was is kind of... Is this like thread count? Well, kind of, yeah. The more threads, the finer the material. So if you go to the store and look for like 1,000 thread count sheets, it's going to cost you like $400, right? Because wow. the threads are so fine and there's so many of them, but it's the softest cotton thread. If you just get the 200 thread count, it'd be like 20 bucks. But it kind of feels like sandpaper mm -hmm. when, you, when you sleep on it. You ever see those hook rugs that people do? That was kind of big when I was a kid. People would make these little, oh, yeah. little pieces of thread and you'd hook them into this kind of lattice of string. Well, we used to do um, macrame as a kid. Mm -hmm. kind of like that. Yeah, that's like the weaving of yeah. threads. But each one of those threads is just lying there on the table. But then you come along and you make something out of it. You put them all in the right place. But if you have, say, 20 threads per square inch, it's not that great. You got 100, 400, 500, 1,000. Then the same, you know, four by four rug will have instead of some number of threads, an exponentially higher number of threads. And then the rug is finer and softer and everything. So um, that, as you say, the veil required all that stuff to be arranged. And then there were pictures of the stars and flowers and angels woven into that um, veil. So in other words, creation is a bunch of little pieces of molecules and until they're assembled in the right way, it's just kind of nothing. You can't tell what it is. But then, if everything's in the right place. You see the big theme here? Mm -hmm. <laughs> if everything's in the right place, in other words, the intellectual understanding gets impressed into matter, then it starts to reveal that same reality to somebody else. It's exactly what God does. Divine mind first creates matter, but then it's formless at the beginning, and then he imports or inputs his divine mind into it. So then you can go backwards and say, okay, well, you know, if... Um, you ever see those Rorschach tests that people yep. have for, you know, they, yeah. look, they look like ink blots, and then someone says, I see murder in that one. I see murder. And then you show the next one. I see that's murder. That's my in mother that. yelling at me. <laughs> right. That's and my the, dad yelling at me. And then, me. then the next one is, that's my brother yelling at me. Like, what that ink blot tells you is something about what the person sees in it. And artwork does that too. Right. So if you see something that tells you about, wow, that artist is smart, understood stuff, mastered the craft, spent a lifetime apprenticing to that art, the art tells you something about the maker. Of that art. And so if you think of God as the maker, what we look at in the world and what we're able to do tells you something about God's power, what he knows and what he does. I listened to a podcast recently by... Um, the Nick, liturgy guys? Well, no, but it was the Thomistic Institute. <laughs> Nicanor, Father Nicanor Austriaco is a Dominican and he has an MIT doctorate in biomedical engineering or something. So like wicked smart. Yeah, wicked smart. And he said... He's big on the idea of how Christian, Christianity and evolution can talk together. So he proposed that God made dinosaurs so that we could know that God could make dinosaurs. 
<laughs> right? Now we can't live on the earth at the same time. That's like, as, as why did God make dinosaurs? Because he could. Because he could. And when we dig up the bones, we're like, whoa, God could even make that. We wouldn't know that otherwise because we wouldn't have found any of the And they bones. turned into gasoline, so that's nice. Well, sure, there you go. <laughs> Carbon emissions is, is God's plan. Um, <laughs> but the idea is God's mind is so expansive, and we know God could make dinosaurs because we found the bones of dinosaurs. However, it wasn't good for us to live on the earth at the same time as dinosaurs because they would eat us. <laughs> right? so, so, like, God was just flexing. Yeah, he, he said, <laughs> in the course of time, my people will come to know my majesty because they'll find these gigantic bones. You know, think about every kid who loves dinosaurs. A lot of kids go through the dinosaur oh, phase. Oh, yeah. I, my son Isaac is starting to get into yeah. that now. Why are they so fascinating? Because like, there's this big, amazing thing. It's like kind of scary, kind of fascinating. It's almost like a haunted house because we know they can't kill us. But to ponder the, like, the immensity and the power of this dinosaur. Well, that's the, that's the amazing feeling that you get when you watch Jurassic Park for the first time. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, but what if we were able to coexist and what would that be like right or what if we find the gene and we bring one back to life and they start Mm -hmm. running around the earth to eat us right so we always have this interest in what's going to kill us you know but we like it when they're dead and they can't kill us (laughs) so um how about babies in the womb bible says they're woven like i was woven in my mother's womb is one oh because you're taking two elements Mm mm-hmm that are woven together. So say mom and dad give their genetic mm-hmm. material. And it's woven together to become something totally new. Right. So Psalm 138 Man, that's says, awesome. That you, is you so cool. You have woven me in my mother's womb. And so that's one of the ideas about the veil. And it, it comes not from scripture, but from a very early church document called the Proto-Evangelion of James, that the Virgin Mary was a temple virgin. And meaning that she would have done the work of the temple, that her parents brought her there when she was little. So the, the story goes that they brought her there when she was three years old and she started dancing around because she loved being in the temple and she didn't want to leave. So they left her there with the priest to be raised in the temple. It would be kind of like if you, what a miracle it would be, say you brought Agnes to some convent and she's like, mm-hmm. Daddy, I want to stay here forever. And like from the time she's five years old, she's a nun. <laughs> she's the perfect nun for That'd the rest of great. her life. Um, I could be sad for you, of course, but the idea is from the earliest day, she's raised, you know, with prayer and discipline and all that stuff. Anyway, so she loved it. And one of the things that the virgins did was they wove the wool for the veils. So they would take the wool and spin it. So a lot of times in images of Mary, you see her with wool in her hands because she's weaving the veil or weaving the wool for the veil in the temple. But what did she weave instead in her womb? She wove the word of God. Right. Who who was the word who took on flesh, right? So it's this invisible idea that became noble to us. And so when the veil is torn, they say the Christ's body is torn. So instead of two human elements being woven together... God, we have, we have the Trinitarian and humanity woven together. Woven and, together. Oh my goodness. So when you talk about Christ having God a divine nature He's and a God human bumps. nature, right? One person with two natures. You, know, you could say everybody's one person with genes from the father and genes from the mother. Um, so they have kind of two qualities, I guess. You know, we have one human nature, but divinity and humanity come that way. So he talks about vertical and horizontal. Uh, so the vertical threads are called a warp believe it or not, W-A-R-P. Oh, those are like technical terms? Yeah. So, wow, um, okay. And the horizontal threads are called a woof, <laughs> just like a subwoofer, W-O-O-F. Ooh, warp and woof, I yeah, like this. warp and woof. And um, what does a weaver do? They put all these vertical threads on the loom, and then they weave in and out things you know, horizontally. So 
he talks about the cross. Can you talk about the cross, vertical and horizontal? Oh, man. There's the vertical yeah. that connects heaven and earth, right? Warp and wolf. And then the horizontal, which is the earth uh, meeting together with the horizontal. So, and then you can do all kinds of things. The vertical axis, he said, is celestial. Um, sometimes a tree is compared to like the great umbilical cord. <laughs> so imagine the umbilical cord comes down from heaven and Ooh, you lands know, on earth. There's something to that, though. Um, there's that image of the cross with the water of life you know, springing forth mm-hmm, from it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that could, it's life-giving water, just like the umbilical cord is life-giving. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. And it spread, you know, it kind of goes out and... Right, think about a tree. And I was out walking the other day and I was just looking at a tree. A tree has a, a trunk that's pretty compact and small, but then mm-hmm. it spreads its branches out. So it collects all this energy from the sun. And then it goes down the trunk into the ground, into the roots but then there's water in the earth that go up the roots, up the trunk to the leaves, and there's this constant movement from the sky to the earth, the sky to the earth, the sky to the earth, and then we're in between. We walk around, we don't really see the sky, we don't really see the earth, um, but then this wood becomes very useful to us. And so the tree becomes an image of this, how God works, the vertical of the, of the woven threads, it's like the trunk, and then the horizontals are like the roots or the leaves, and when you bring them all together, then you get this tree that connects heaven and earth, wow. the tree that brought death, then the tree that brought life, and Christ is the carpenter, who's no the guy who knows how to here. work this tree. I know, and they're not just metaphors, they're participations in the divine uh, reality. So, um, you know, the book, again, is Divine Craftsmanship, Preliminaries to a Spirituality at Work. By Jean... Jean Hany, H-A-N-I. He died in 2012, actually. And the last one we talked about, I said he was a professor at um, Chartres, but he was actually professor at the University of Amiens, which is one of the great French cathedral towns, the Amiens Cathedral. And he was the founder of the, let's see if I can do this Frenchy-wise, Centre de Recherche de l'Antiquité Classique. Was he, like a, was he a priest or something? Or was he just a theologian? Or? No, he was actually a specialist in um, comparative religions. So when you read his book, he'll talk a lot about how the Egyptians thought this and the Greeks thought that and the, the um, Greek myths and how the same ideas are... Like in an are, ecumenical way or... No, mostly like comparative religions, like religions that don't exist anymore. So what, what, oh, the, what were the okay. Egyptians thinking? What were the Greeks thinking? And, you know, you see him say, in this culture, people thought weaving meant this. And then even in Christianity, which fulfilled all this. Um, so the idea was the world is um, part of this creation that God made. He impressed his mind into it. And then we get to share in the impressing of that mind into things. And this is why the call of the artist isn't just you know, explode some vomit on a, on a uh, canvas right. and say, this is how I express myself. It's, you have a participation in the mind of God and you can either do it as God would do it as much as you can, or you can do it as, you know, your lower nature <laughs> would do it. Mm. And so the call of the artist is very, very high because it's actually a participation in God's own creative power. Uh, have I ever told you the story of, about, that you love me? No, well, yeah. Okay. Have I mentioned today um, this time that I was, Knitting on the CTA bus on the west side of Chicago. You were knitting? You yeah, did I ever tell you this story? I think so, but I don't remember. Oh, man. Did you stab somebody with the uh, No, this is needles? one of my favorite stories, and it's hilarious. And I was doing this year of service in Chicago, and there was like 32 of us, but it was like four guys and 28 girls. And so the girls were like getting really into like crocheting and knitting and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, And you felt your estrogen rising as you lived with them every day? No, I was trying to, you know, 
Mac on the chicks? Yeah. Okay. No. Uh, hey, I, can I was no. I I'm just kind of fascinated. I, I always like you know making things, creating things, you know, with my hands and everything. So, uh, so I learned how to uh, knit, and so I was. It was in winter time, so I was knitting my mom a scarf for Christmas, and so I was at the very back of the bus, and at the time I was working in North Lawndale on the west side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a dangerous neighborhood yep. to be working and commuting in. And knitting. And knitting. So I'm at the back of the bus. I'm just, I'm making this scarf, knitting, purling, knitting, purling. And this- Warping, woofing. Warping, woofing, warping, woofing. Warp, yep. So this, this guy is staring at me and he's got like all these tattoos and he's probably like six, five, you know, 350 pounds, like just a huge mass of muscle, mm-hmm. piercings, tattoos, everything. And he's looking at me and, you know, like I kind of know the neighborhood that I'm in, you know, whatever. But so I just keep, I keep uh, knitting and all of a sudden he stands up and he's just like, he's so tall. He comes up to me, like really close to me. And he says, what are you doing? <laughs> and I say, oh, I'm knitting a scarf for my mom for Christmas. And he pauses and he says, can I try? <laughs> so, so he sits down next to me and I'm, t- I'm teaching this guy how to knit. I was like, this is a knit. This is a pearl. This is a make, warp. This is a warp. You got to do it like 10 times in this row. And then it's, you know. And so uh, he was terrible at it. But it was just so, I did not expect that to happen. I, I, I don't know what I thought was going to happen, but I, I felt very awkward and uncomfortable at first. And then. It ended up being an amazing experience. Yeah, so in this guy, who you would have assumed maybe doesn't have enough you know, cultural sophistication to mm-hmm. care about knitting, is this deep desire to participate in God the craftsman, right? God the maker of things. It's just intrigued. It's like in us. No one said, oh, if you go do that, you know, you'll make a million dollars. Or There's some reason. It's, there's an innate sense that this is what we do. We imitate God in lots of ways, mm-hmm. as parents, as physicians, as teachers, even as knitters. So but, that's, uh, that's what I've been thinking about lately because these awesome. little books, they're so great because every, every um, chapter is like seven pages long so I can actually read it without getting all disturbed. Yeah, it's pretty short. Looks like it's uh, totally readable. Mm-hmm. Yep, the whole book from beginning to... How many pictures to, does it have? It actually has pictures <laughs> in it, but the whole book's about 105 pages. See, there's some pictures. Oh, wow. Right in the middle. The cover, the cover's really cool. Right, there's, on the cover, there's a picture of Christ building stones there's like two little craftsmen who are putting stones on top of stones and then christ is there kind of directing them he's a little chisel in his hand and so there's the idea that christ is m- the maker of the world and we participate in his making of things that's right. awesome yeah and so we do what he would be doing if he were here uh in human form like he was so speaking of making things make us a t-shirt t-shirt submit it to questions at liturgyguys.com by labor day this is what I suggest. What do you suggest? Graphic designers, ask the Holy Spirit to inspire oh. you. Holy Spirit, I would like to reveal and the radiantness of liturgy and what God means through this t-shirt and see what happens. And if you need like the logo or something for your design, let me know. You can email me. I'll send it over as part of it. So Okay, cool. I hope this happens. I hope it happens too. Uh, all right. That was good coffee talk. Who's going to do a coffee talk, baby? Who's going to do a coffee talk? Who's going to do a coffee talk, baby? Who's going to do a coffee talk? Now that's a podcast.
The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition.